Hey everyone, Jawad here with Hit the Apex Podcast. How is everyone doing? Uh, it's been a while. Yes, it has been a while. I missed Mr. Race um, a couple of weeks ago, French Grand Prix. Uh, pretty good excuse this time, actually. Um, for those who weren't uh, following on, on Twitter, uh, had the unfortunate um, passing of my partner's father uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, I can't believe it's been a couple of weeks. So it's been a bit of a difficult time um, for us and, you know, just trying to spend as much time with each other and as with family as possible. Uh, and, yeah, you know, the French Grand Prix weekend was just a write-off for me. I didn't really care what happened or, you know, what was going on as much. So um, even though it was... A bit of a, a hard one for Ferrari and for Charles Leclerc, but yeah, it's um it's been tough the last couple of weeks, but it was good to uh, come back home and get on to watch the Hungarian Grand Prix um, as a bit of a distraction, and then lots of silly season news kicking off as well over the past week too, so it, it's in full swing, definitely. Um, as we head into the mid-season break, but at the same time, I just still feel a bit uh, detached from all the happenings in F1 and racing at the moment. I can't really bring myself to uh, write anything. You know, I'd love to do something, um, do a piece on Sebastian Vettel as well and about his retirement and you know what we're going to remember him for after he leaves at the end of this year. <coughs> And all the things going on with with Alpine and Oscar Piastri, it's there's a lot going on. But you know, just letting you guys know that you know my mindset and you know my mentally and feelings, emotionally, it's just not it's not all there with it. But I still wanted to record today. Um, it's the last chance, obviously, heading into the mid-season break, and um, talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix, what happened in Budapest. Had supercars as well with the Ben Super Sprint over the weekend, and yeah, let's let's get into it. So, emphatic drive from Max Verstappen, he qualified tenth and sealed his eighth win of the season. And again, another race of Ferrari errors. This time, it wasn't a driver error like in uh, Le Castellet. It was a team strategic error. Um, we see Max with an eighty-point lead now in the drivers' championship. Leclerc, got to say, he lost a likely win. You got to, um, it could have easily been that given the pace that they had uh, on the medium tire in the middle of the race, but they made the switch to the hard tire for the third stint. You know, after the second stop, and it was just everyone was like, "What? What are you doing?" Um, more on that later. Anyway, we go back to qualifying. George Russell getting his first pole position for Mercedes, his first career pole as well. Um, and that was a lap that just came out of nowhere at the end of Q3. So good on George. He led the early stages of the race on the soft tyre. Ferraris, they both started on the medium tyre, led by Carlos Sainz. We had threats of rain persisting, but nothing eventuated in that instance. Um, but it was an intriguing race overall um, of strategy. You know, it was nice to follow the different strategies people were on. So everyone who started on the soft tyre, you knew that they were going to two-stop this race. Those who started on the mediums, it was like, oh, yeah, 
could do a one stop you go far enough you can put on the hard tire but the hard tire was the compound that gave little performance and that was a thing for the medium tire runners at the start you know if you want a two stop then it's best to run a longer second stint or first stint whichever stint you can get get a, a bit of longevity out of that way you can go onto the soft tire towards the end of the race which we saw um, the likes of Lewis Hamilton and Carlos Sainz do so anywhere between that lap 48 or 52 out of 70 would have been the ideal time to stop to put on the soft tire um, Ferraris they were quick on the medium tires even against Russell on the soft tyre, and then you had Max from from 10th coming through the field on the soft tyre as well. Um, You know, the ideal, as I said, the ideal strategy for Ferrari would have been to have that longer middle stint and to be able to get the soft tyre on in the end. And, you know, I mean, it's all in hindsight now. You can say if they did that with Leclerc, then it could have been an easy 25 points, 26 points with the fastest lap. Um... Leclerc was mighty in that middle stint, as I said, with a medium tyre. He passed George for the lead on lap 31, all before Max came in on lap 39. This is kind of what triggered um, this odd ball from Ferrari, was that Max came in on lap 39. He had caught up to the leaders, and basically Ferrari saw that as an undercut attempt. Um, Max had another set of mediums he could go on to, whereas Ferrari, the only way they could respond to that undercut was to put um, Leclerc on the hard tyres. Now, big question mark around why they didn't do it with Sainz instead of Leclerc, you know, go for, I mean, many people believe that Sainz is not the championship favourite, etc., so take the risk with him rather than with your lead driver, because... You need to get every point you can. That wasn't the case. So lap 40, obviously, still far away from that soft tyre window. Um, And because they had only run the medium tyre so far in the race twice, you know, you have to use two different compounds. uh, Otherwise, you will be disqualified or black flagged either either. (laughs) Same thing, pretty much. Um, So with the offset in Max's favour, he wasted no time passing The Ferraris had his own little 360 spin as well at the penultimate corner, which kind of highlighted, uh, people kind of highlighted that and how dominant Max has been this season, how ruthless he has been as well. And to be honest, it kind of, when when thinking about things to say about Sebastian Vettel and um, when he was at his peak going back to the Red Bull days, you know, Verstappen in a way reminds me of a ruthless Vettel in those days so the way he's been driving this season has been so metronomic and just again using the term ruthless is is probably the best thing to say in that instance so he had that spin saved the car and he was away and you know finished down the road another win in the bag 80 points in the championship is such a lead again that's the a Vettel kind of lead back in the the Red Bull days when he was winning for championships four years in a row. Um, behind those guys, Sainz and uh, Hamilton, who had qualified in seventh, um, were out the front on the medium tyre as well, but they pitted and they were in the window for the soft tyre, so then they basically were able to have a little race at the end. Um, 
but the Mercedes cars ended up being quicker at the end on the soft tyres. So we saw Hamilton come through, take second, and then George Russell had the pace to finish third ahead of Ferrari. So Ferrari at the end <coughs> had no cars on the podium, uh, fourth and sixth it was, and even though they pitted Leclerc a third time as well and to put on the soft tyre, he still couldn't even set the fastest lap on those soft tyres, so didn't get the extra point. And we had Sergio Perez splitting them in fifth as well. So, horrible day for Ferrari, even though they got cars to the chequered flag, scored points. It's not what they would have wanted. And, you know, I've those who've heard me before go on about this, you know, it's no point saying the same thing over and over again as much as it would be easy. But... They just don't have the the wit about them, that operational sharpness to to be able to go for the jugular and go for maximum points to win this championship. That's the only way it's going to happen. Of course, you know, there's a lot of question marks over them now and questions being asked about Mattia Bonotto's leadership. I'm not going to say much than I still think, you know, he who who else is out there that could do better than him is is where I stand now rather than, oh, you know, I still think he's the right person for the job. I don't think there's anyone else out there, certainly in Ferrari, that I think would be any better than he is. So it's up to the whole team to um, start making better decisions and the pit wall, especially with their with their strategy calls and whatnot. On the other hand, you know, you've got to praise Red Bull for their efforts and their um, strategist as well for coming up with the strategy for Max to get him to win the race. Like from 10th, it's unheard of uh, a win in Hungary of all places where overtaking is very limited. Like, mind you, we saw quite a bit of overtaking this time given that the cars follow each other a lot better and that made for an entertaining race. Um, But again, you know, I think, what, was it Jensen Button, his first win in F1... Uh, where, or his first win here at Hungary, he started, like, outside the top 10 even, I can't remember exactly where he started, so Max didn't quite get the uh, chocolates for that one, but still, it was, you know, you can't really say anything bad about Max at the moment, he's doing so well, and, you know, it's his championship to lose, basically, in this instance. Um, That's, going back to Ferrari and the hard tyres, like, how could you not see after both Alpines uh, made the switch to the hard tyre earlier in the race, you know, they were going for a one-stop race and how bad their pace was. And even Kevin Magnussen, you know, closer to Ferrari with, with the Haas alliance, Magnussen having front-wing damage early in the race, he had to come in early and basically just save his race. They thought he could one-stop and take the hard tyres to the end, but he had no pace at all, he finished 16th, and then the Alpines, you know, I honestly thought they would beat McLaren this time, but Lando Norris played his cards right, even had a slow pit stop, yet that's how bad the hard tyres were, that both Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon uh, finished 8th and ninth behind uh, Lando in the McLaren, so... You know, how could you not see that, like, not not even, like, having all the information available, the data, but just being able to see in the data that's available that, you know, the hard tyre is not going to be a good tyre at all in these conditions. So, you know, that's not the sort of decision-making that a world championship-winning calibre team 
a modern world championship winning caliber team because you know the last time Ferrari won the championship was not quite the dark ages but it, it was quite a long time ago 2007 even though I do remember it quite vividly <laughs> uh, so how do they not see that is beyond me and it's just the whole first half of the season has been schmozzle after schmozzle uh, honestly like three races into the season it's like great looks like they've actually turned things around finally but then that's kind of when things started falling off the hill like I remember after Melbourne everyone thought it was Verstappen who had a mountain to climb and it wasn't going to be possible for him but how it was so different because it was Leclerc then and Ferrari who ended up having all the troubles afterwards like not taking away the fact that, you know, the Ferrari is a fast car, it's just not a very reliable one, but also, the team have not done for any favours strategically on the pit wall, of course, and then, of course, the drivers are not doing any favours either, with Leclerc making mistakes like he did in uh, in in France, so there you go, you know, I've, I've had my little Ferrari rant, but anyway, let's move it on now. Uh, behind the... McLaren and the Alpine, we had Sebastian Vettel finishing 10th, of course, so Vettel announcing his retirement ahead of the weekend, um, and I guess, you know, he's just going to be racing for himself now, isn't he, to try and finish ahead, so it was another um, Stroll versus Vettel dash to the end, and this time it was Seb who came out on top, did the soft, medium, medium two-stop strategy, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, unfortunately, going backwards on the hard tyre too, he ended up tangling with Lance Stroll too, which saw him cop a five-second time penalty, so he finished all the way down in 15th, um, whilst the only retiree from the race we had was Valtteri Bottas having a bit of, having a loss of power towards the end of the race there, and that brought out a virtual safety car. Um, other notable things, I guess, Yugi Sonoda finishing last to the classified runners, and a total of 60 seconds, a whole minute, off the next car, up ahead, which was Nicholas Latifi, um, who was behind his team at Alex Albon there at the Williams, so, yeah, you know, not a great race for Sonoda, and Alpha Tauri overall have just had a really wretched time, so Pierre Gasly, 12th in this one, and then when you look at the constructors' points, I made, I made it worth mentioning the fact that, um, Aston Martin are closing into Alpha Tauri now for 7th in the championship, sorry, not 7th, 8th, in the championship, so that would be interesting with seven points between them if um, Aston Martin were to jump ahead, and Aston Martin are the guys who I thought were not going to be finishing anywhere higher than where they were this season, or even finishing last. That's what I thought coming into the season when, when we saw testing and everything unfold, I thought maybe Williams would be ahead of them, but no, Williams quite a while behind now, you know, with three points, and then um, Aston Martin and AlphaTauri fighting over uh, eighth position, it seems, so good on them for that. Ferrari, again, Constructors Championship-wise, they've got 30 points between them and Mercedes, and Mercedes, their last few races, you know, so is that five podiums in a row now for Lewis Hamilton, which is phenomenal, and, you know, great job for them. I think, you know, the whole shifting of their mindset as well this season has um, come to fruition, you know, rather than uh, lamenting or, you know, ruining the fact that they're not fighting for the championship. They're maximizing everything every weekend they can. And as a result, you know, it's paying dividends. And 
second in the constructors championship will feel like a win for them you know given how far behind they were when we started the season and um, how quickly they've been able to close up to Ferrari who were you know in some people's eyes the championship favorites so it's it's really good to see um, for Russell as well to tick off another first with getting a first pole position in his career you know Mr. Saturday's back and just Hamilton's performances have been just things to be in awe of you know basically it's hard not to be in awe of him what he's doing still so it's good to see them a bit more calm and a bit more of a harmonious uh, environment at Mercedes especially when you consider uh, what happened at the end of last year and coming into this year the uncertainties around that. Um, Quick mention too like I would have talked about this earlier if I did it did an episode but um uh reading reading michael massey the ex ff1 race director reading his first comments since abu dhabi last year was also a bit sobering in the fact that you know he was basically fearing for his life and you know could see all the death threats that were given to him it's not on it's not on and i love now f1 has uh woken up to the things that were going on at the track in Austria with with fans, I don't even call them fans, but um, people harassing other fans and that sort of thing. It's just horrible, and now that they've got mechanisms to call out that sort of behaviour and keep everyone safe... You know, if only there was something for for Massey, even if, you know, he did uh, admit to making a mistake, you know, not that everyone is perfect and they don't make mistakes but it it was very sad a lot of people don't really care you know and i'm i know the kind of people who don't care you know they they're very come from a different side of the world than we do i think we're a bit more sympathetic towards massey because we know how you know great he was as you know in his role not maybe as the in the last couple of years now i'm losing my words here but um you know, what he did in Australia for, for CAMS, now Motorsport Australia, you know, going under Charlie Whiting's wings, it was it was a big thing, you know, for someone from here to, to go and do that. But, you know, it's not like the current race directors are doing, uh, you know, getting much support and sympathy from anyone else either. So it's like no matter who was going to step into the role, it was Poison Chalice. So, yeah, but just the whole th- situation with Massey, a bit sad definitely so we've got nine races to go after this once we come back at the end of august for the belgian grand prix um some exciting races too looking forward to obviously spa uh zanvoort and then monza singapore japan um a little bit closer to home even though singapore is still on european time and Japan will be a good one too, even though it clashes with the Bathurst 1000, which I never, never was a fan of. Um, thought they would uh, change the dates or like, you know, at least avoid that clash. But we know where Zach Brown is going to be. The uh, McLaren CEO is going to be here in ba- at Bathurst uh, as part of his Walkinshaw and Dreddy United team, which will be good to see. Um... But yeah, silly season stuff, and goodness, it's been pretty silly so far. Uh, so we had Vettel announcing his retirement uh, ahead of the Hungarian Grand Prix, uh, changes in his priorities in life and whatnot. It's so understandable given what's going on in the world, and 
you know, he's got a different perspective on things. Doesn't help as well when your team is sponsored by a, a Saudi Arabian oil giant too, if he's looking at trying to save the world environmental, you know, being a bit more environmentally friendly and all that sort of stuff and being such a proud ally of the LGBTQI plus um, community as well. It, you know, there's a lot of conflict there between, you know, certain sponsors and, and, you know, human rights and everything that, you know, people deserve to be a part of. But also when you look at it from a, you know, racing purely performance and racing perspective, uh, where else could Seb have gone um, apart from staying with the current team he's at and whose trajectory still doesn't look very bright to me in terms of moving up the pecking order anytime soon, but there wouldn't be a logical place for him to go, you know, having been at the dizzying heights of his success at Red Bull and then, you know, winning races at Ferrari, but ultimately failing to capture that um, dream of trying to emulate his idol in Michael Schumacher to be able to win a championship for Ferrari and break that drought of championships for Ferrari like uh, the great Schumacher did. So, you know, it it is sad in a way that... um, Vettel's career kind of ends or will end scoring ninth and 10th place finishes uh, or even just struggling to get into the points but at the same time I hope we can celebrate the driver that he was like I'm I'll be the first one to admit that um, I've had such a love-hate relationship with Vettel you know going back to um, when he first started in F1 obviously it was nice seeing a fresh young face on the grid, you know, and it was easy to get behind him, such a likable character, and then, of course, backing it up with those performances, the first win there in um, for Toro Rosso at Monza, then moving to Red Bull 2010, uh, the championship, he was never really the favourite, it was kind of between him and his teammate, sorry, it was between his teammate Mark Webber and Fernando Alonso, but then come the end of Abu Dhabi, it's Vettel who's won, and then the subsequent years, you know, his ruthlessness, his dominance in 2011 and 2013, uh, 2012 as well, not having the most reliable car, but still managing to win by three points over Alonso, it was great, and then, you know, even though his Ferrari career was a sad disappointment, it was good to see him have a crack and to follow his heart to the team that he always wanted to race for when he was uh, younger watching Schumacher. So, you know, it, it's just sad that the, the romanticism about that did not come to fruition. But hopefully, yeah, we can remember Seb for the legend he was and is uh, with his results and his records and everything. Of course, we're still going to remember things like Multi-21, which is what, you know, got me... To, to just kind of get into that hate side, you know, hate's a strong word, but, um, you know, a disliking of him and also s- seeming to win every single race as well. It's, it does get a bit boring when that happens, but it doesn't take away the respect that, you know, I have and everyone should have of his talent and what he's achieved in the sport. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing what he can accomplish outside the sport now in creating a better tomorrow for his family, his children and children of the world, as he said in that um, rather moody statement. 
What that kind of triggered, though, was some very quick movement in filling that vacancy at Aston Martin. It was a bit of a shock when I opened my emails and saw uh, Aston Martin press release saying Fernando Alonso is joining Aston Martin on a long-term deal. I'm like, what? Did... Did I just wake up in a dream or something that I'm seeing this? Like, Alonso? Seriously? And then, you know, the fact that it did it did happen was like... And the, the circumstances it happened in as well was quite bizarre. So, apparently, on the weekend, um, team principal Otmar Zafnau for Alpine was certain that, you know, Alonso had not made his mind up about his future and was certain that they could, were going to keep him at Alpine. And then Monday Monday morning in, in European time, it's like, yep, he's off to Aston Martin. Great. So apparently Alpine too only learnt of Alonso's departure in the press release issued by Aston. So that's pretty much triggered all sorts of chaos um, around Oscar Piastri as well um, and who's going to fill that seat at Alpine. But with Alonso and Aston, it's uh, like Alonso seems to be the king of making bad career choices. Now, while coming back to F1 after a couple of years off uh, following that disastrous spell at McLaren wasn't too bad like and it felt like Alonso had changed his mindset as well about you know his expectations what he wants through being at Alpine and it just looked you know coming into this year that he had progressed you know like they've progressed as a team and as a unit and that they would be getting better and better if so hopefully the next year or the year after they would be contenders potentially who knows um but it just feels like a slap in the face to Alpine um, and that, you know, he believes for whatever reason that Aston Martin are the team that's going to do that or like, you know, in the the mid to long term or however much time he's going to commit to them, it's going to pay dividends for him there, which, you know, I really have my doubts with about Aston Martin. I mean, not too long ago was their talk about Lawrence Stroll potentially selling the team, which, you know, that's kind of disappeared because uh, Audi look more certain to buy in, buy out the uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber team or take majority shareholding of um, the Sauber group. So, you know, that's not going to happen. But, like, seriously, it's such a, such a strange move. Like, it's, I don't know. I don't know. As much as I want to be proven wrong, I just have that feeling that it's not going to work out for Alonso, and then he's going to throw the toys out of the cot, and off he goes. Especially considering um, how much of a personality, like big personality he is, and then you've got Lawrence Stroll, who's a big personality as well. I don't think Stroll would be the kind of person who would take lightly to criticism um, from his own drivers about the car. Like, obviously, you've got his son in the car who's not going to say anything, um, he just, you know, lucky to be on the grid in the first place. Uh, but, you know, having someone like Alonso, if he doesn't like what's going on, he's going to say something about it, like we heard at McLaren all those times. So it's going to be an interesting one there. Uh, what it's done to Alpine, though, is even worse because... So everyone who's been following Oscar Piastri's, um, you know, movements over the past couple of months would have been hearing the fact that he 
his contract that he has with Alpine as an Alpine reserve driver and everything had a date or, you know, it was like a deadline either the end of July or start of August, one of the two, um, for whether if nothing had been agreed with that with the team, with Alpine, by that deadline, that he was free to look elsewhere. So that seems to have lapsed. Obviously, we're in, it's the 4th of August or whatever, and Alonso made his announcement on the 1st of August. Seemingly, uh, the contract had lapsed. Piastri's management, um, headed up by none other than Mark Webber, of course, um, has possibly found him a seat at McLaren to replace Daniel Ricciardo next year. Not that McLaren have made any announcement or any indications about that just yet, but Alpine putting out a press release um, saying that, you know, Piastri's going to drive for us in 2023. It's been confirmed. They had no quotes from Piastri himself, and this led to Oscar coming out on social media saying that... um, no, I will not be driving for Alpine in 2023. They did not get my permission to put out that press release and all that sort of stuff. And it's basically going to turn into a legal um, a legal drama now because, you know, he probably has contracts with both teams. So even though we haven't had anything said about McLaren yet, but he might already have a contract with McLaren for next year then Alpine will say, well, we've got a contract with you. Um, we don't know fully what those deadline mechanisms were and whatnot. But it's kind of people said, oh, you know, it's reminiscent of what happened with Jensen Button between BAR and, BAR and Williams. And, you know, he was going to go to Williams, but then BAR took up a option on his contract and they took it to the uh, contract recognitions board uh, the CRB, and um, they found that, yeah, he had to see fulfill his contract at BAR, which meant he had to stay there for another season, unlike, you know, with, with all the acrimony and all that. Um, and that's not something that young Piastri would like, I'm sure, to make his debut in F1, but, you know, driving for a team he doesn't want to. So it's a bit of a situation, of course. Um but then this is not the first time it's happened to McLaren this season too because uh, a couple of weeks ago they announced that they are getting reigning IndyCar champion Alex Pillow over. Um, where are they going to put him? Who who knows? Because they've already signed Alexander Rossi, Felix Rosenquist, Pato Award, and then, you know, another driver, even though we believe Rosenquist is going to head to the Formula E program next year. So... There's so many drivers that they've got, you know, the potential of one of them coming into F1. Um, I mean, there's only one seat, you know, technically there's not even a seat available at McLaren because Ricardo was contracted there for another season. But it's the situation with Alpine, which is even more um, annoying and kind of hilarious to the fact that, you know, it almost seems like no one wants, wants that seat, to be honest. Um, Alonso's decided to bail on them, you know, he had he made his decision sooner, maybe, you know, Alpine could have had uh, Piastri without this contract fiasco as well, uh, and that's another thing, because under all, um, under all accounts, and, you know, under all 
rumours and whatnot, it sounded likely that Alonso was going to stay put at Alpine for next year or even sign a new multi-year agreement with the option of transitioning to the new sport, their new um, uh, sports car team that's going to head up, I think, LMDH or LM, LMH, whatever, the Le Mans prototype. Uh, no the hypercar project or whatever it is sorry uh but that's not going to happen now so yeah who wants that alpine seat i mean the way this could be resolved in my mind is that um you know they let they let piastri go and they take back ricardo that would might be that might be something of course so i wouldn't mind seeing that even though alpine uh need renault um, they were the team that Ricardo left originally back in 2020 to come to McLaren. Still think that wasn't the right decision for him as well, given how... Like, that's the thing. Alpine are slowly improving. They're slowly becoming a bit more consistent team, but then their drivers just decide they don't want to drive for them anymore. And Alpine are doing better than McLaren this year. But then again, that is thanks to one of their drivers not really putting in the performances when they are in a good position. So, of course, like, Ricardo st- starting in the top 10 this time, goes backwards in the race, ends up hitting Stroll, etc. So, yeah, it's uh, all a bit of a schmozzle at the moment. Don't know how it's all going to pan out. No no news today, of course, apart from Alex Albon being a bit of a troll and saying in his little uh, press release of... Uh, that he's staying at Williams for a multi-year, on a multi-year deal, that, you know, he did get the teams, uh, he did agree with the team to issue this press release, like, um, what's their names, that uh, Oscar Piastri put out, saying that they did not get his permission to, um, the team did not get his permission to do that, so that's quite funny, the way he did that, but, yeah, what do you say? Hopefully it all works out, and, you know, next time, I um, come to record, I can actually talk about teams settling down with or drivers settling down at teams and uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the year pans out on track. Rounding it out then with some supercars as well, talking points from the Bend Super Sprint. Uh, decent weekend, same same results, you know, Shane Van Gisbergen swept the weekend, actually, takes another 300 points in the bag, he's got quite a big lead now in the championship with more than a round's worth of points ahead of Anton Di Pasquale, um, I think the biggest talking point for me out of the weekend was the wildcard entry in Zach Best taking pole for race 21, it was a shock pole, um, and quite exciting too, because you know you don't see normally a wild card, a, a rookie wild card, especially come out and take a pole position like that. What I got a bit fired up over was the controversy that was created around that, the fact that you know someone or a particular team caused a stir in the paddock, saying, "Hey, you know the wild card entries because there was two in the form of Best and Jordan Boys with Im- Image Racing that." Oh, you know, they've got different tyres than we do, even though they're all soft compound tyres from Dunlop. Apparently, the tyre sets that the wildcards had were manufactured on a different date to the tyres that the rest of the field had. 
did that make a big difference? Who knows? Like, it's totally discounting the fact that, you know, the, the driver had an impact on that lap or the fact that, you know, the Mustang does norm does work pretty well normally around the bend. It suited the high downforce kind of setup or the layout or nature of the track is suited to the Mustang, which is still very aero proficient. But no, someone just had to come and spoil the party, of course. And not that it made any difference to the race anyway, because uh, SVG won ahead of Will Davison, who, you know, started further down, was able to come back up the field. Um, Gisbergen doing a a long first stint and had enough of a margin to pit and come out in the lead and Chaz Mostert finishing in third. Like, it... It's exciting, but it's almost becoming predictable in a sense. Sunday we had two pole positions for Cam Waters as well. So again, the Mustang and the Tickford Mustangs especially being quite quick around this track. So, oh, you know, let's sharpen the pitchforks and blame the tyres for for the wildcard getting pole position. Like, what's the point of even having wildcards then if they're just meant to hang around the back of the grid and make the, make up the numbers? Or even a Super 2 program, as a matter of fact. You know, like, what's the point of doing junior racing if only two or three teams and maybe four drivers realistically having have had a chance to win races in a season, but then not even consistently because then there's only one person who wins um, wins the championship. You know, I'm not saying that this is a anything against a particular driver or anything. Like, I love Van Gisbergen and good on him for the performances he's putting in. But, like, you know, just the way it's all happening with supercars is a bit, you know, it's just a bit predictable and a bit boring. It's just a, yeah, like, and then not giving the young guy a chance to put his performance in and, and be at the front of the grid, it's like, nah, it's the tyres' fault, so what we're going to do is um, mix all the compounds for Sunday, just so that everyone has a fair go, like, fair go would be if, you know, you just left it as is, I'm sure there was no big differential between, you know, the manufacturing dates, and, you know, if all soft, if they're, if they're all the same compound attire, they should all be, always be the same, no matter when they're manufactured, seriously, Anyway, so we had a start line smash um, on in on Sunday, race twenty two. So Thomas Randall, another Tickford car, gets his first um, front row start. Started P two, uh, you know, another Tickford car up there in qualifying. Let's uh, change his tyres. Why not? Um, he unfortunately stalled it from second on the grid uh, and couldn't get a go- couldn't get the car going. Um, the whole field did so well to avoid him. Unfortunately, Andre Heimgartner did not and was uh, basically ripped off the entire front end of his car. Sent Randall into a spin and caught Nick Perk out as well. Uh, there was a red flag, of course, before Van Gisbergen came back to win that race. Um, which has Mostert coming up four places and James Courtney getting a third as well in the Tickford car. Glad to see that everyone was fine after that. Uh, they did have to take Heimgartner to the hospital for some precautionary checks and whatnot, but he was good. Um, so was Randall. Unfortunately, their car's not, and I think with the Brad Jones car for Heimgartner especially, that chassis has been uh, being 
has been said goodbye to because I don't think they can rescue it. So they'll be pulling out an old chassis, I think. The one that uh, Tim Slade won back-to-back at Winton with a few years ago for the next race here at Sandown. And um, it was good, actually, because they got Perkat's car back up and running, did Walkinshaw and Dreddy United for race 23. And I guess having that rain come and affect it as well uh, would have got them the, uh, you know, would have made them a lot more nervous. They didn't want any more incidents, but finishing in the top 10 was a good result for them, considering what had happened in the previous race. There was a bit of a battle between Van Gisbergen and Waters in that race, which was good to see. But at the end of the day, you know, the Red Bull won. He was able to extend his lead. I think he finished like eight seconds ahead of waters in that one at the end of it and then Brody Kostecki coming up 10 positions to finish on the podium on the same weekend that Erebus announced that both drivers would be retained for the next couple of seasons until the end of 2024 which is really good to see because Will Brown and Brody Kostecki they're doing a great job couple of young chargers um and Erebus are a team, you know, who next year I feel like they'll benefit from the fact that Walkinshaw and Dreddy United go over to the Ford Mustang. So it essentially puts the onus on Erebus to be the second best GM team, which I totally think that they're capable of doing. And um, yeah, they're just, you know, everyone's favorite second. It's everyone's second favorite team up there when it comes to favorite teams. What um, Van Gisbergen's dominance this weekend has done as well as given Holden the manufacturer's title of course so he's had 14 wins this season there's been a few wins for Chas Mostert as well driving in the Commodore so Holden taking a 17th manufacturer's title it's its final year of course with the Commodore um, chassis of course before they switch to the Camaro next season so a nice way for Holden to um, see out the end of their tenure in supercars with that win so yeah and that's pretty much it pretty much it guys for this first half of 2022 uh for formula one supercars of course in a couple of weeks at sandown but i'm not likely going to be doing any recording uh i will be away for a while now i think i'll be back the same weekend the belgian grand prix will be on, so perhaps I'll do a little preview and mid-season review episode then, no guarantees at all, I just need this time to be with family and with my partner, Um, it's already been a pretty hard year mentally, you know, but um, this, uh, what has happened, you know, losing her dad and everything has just made it a lot worse, so we need that time, um, and everything else kind of takes a back seat, you know, it's more about caring for your loved ones and your friends, family, and, um, yeah, everything else can take a back seat, you know, we can argue for hours and days, you know, all the people who rip into each other on social media over things, like the whole Massey thing as well, like, seriously, get over yourselves, guys, you know, you've got, there's worse things going on in the world and whatnot, but we're still going to, bang on a guy who is receiving death threats and, you know, fearing for his life because of what happened there at the end of last year. So anyway, move it on. Thanks so much for tuning in and um yeah, I'll see you. I'll uh see you when I see you. Well, you won't see me, but you'll hear me when you hear me. Thanks guys. <laughs>